today we are concluding our series. We're concluding this little series to start our year, Kingdom Advancement. You know, as we, at the beginning of every year, we take an inventory of what's going on in our lives, what's going on uh, spiritually in our lives. And this hopefully has helped just to set our gaze on what God's doing for us and in us and what He's to accomplish through us. And Individually, but also in the church. You know, the kingdom advances, and God's desire for the church is to have his eternal kingdom spread through the hearts and lives of people. And we have a story. We have a story of how God did that for each one of us. If we have repented of our sins and trusted Christ for salvation, God's using you. He's using you to advance his kingdom. And first, once he's laid claim to things in your heart, and we need to make sure that we still have a submitted heart toward him and say, God, really, we want you to do and accomplish everything that you desire to accomplish in us. And we want you to do that for your glory. Because that's it's a blessing of self a blessing to everybody that we are in fellowship with and relationship with. Well, in conclusion, we looked at, uh, what was the first one? Time. Turn around and see moments. It's pretty wild. Time. God has claimed on our time, He has claimed on our relationships, our brains, our minds, and He has claimed on our money. That's what we're going to consider today. Uh, so, always a, always a lovely topic to talk about in church, right? Because you're not supposed to talk about money ever. God likes to talk about money. Jesus talked about money a lot. He talked about our heart's treasure, and that's also what we'll consider. Today, Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love, free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Lord, we need, uh, some of us are in need of, of uh, a reminder. Some of us are in need of refinement. And you remind us in order to refine us in order to bring about your plan, your good for our lives. And Lord, as we talk about money, I pray, Lord, that you would accomplish faith in our hearts to trust you for everything. Everything. So we will, we will live contented in this life. Holy Spirit, move in us and among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What would you do with $750 million? It gets out of the realm of our imagination. It's like when we think about a head going forever and ever and ever and ever. Like, what would you do with that amount of money? I've never played the lottery. Don't plan to play the lottery. But I have noticed when jackpots get really large. And I noticed this past week and read on uh, in the newspaper that it's close to a billion dollars. This was last night. Close to a billion dollars. That's a lot of money. Now, when we come across those big numbers, if you're like me, you will dream about what you would do with that amount of money. Like, what 
church and all that kind of stuff. I really would. Yeah, I think we would. But he, John Stiles, years ago, did a program on lottery winners. After the effect of having money and afterwards, their lives were more wrecked than before. They got divorced. They didn't want to They said money's good. Solves the quick problems. But it wasn't the answer. We daydream. Now, what we do is we see that dollar sign as a way to reduce stress. So as we think about having a lot of money, what we're also daydreaming about is I wouldn't have the stress of bills. I wouldn't have the stress of breakdowns. We're all signing for that, right? We all want to sign for that. Uh, came across a statistic years ago that said if, if engineers for cars work with the precision as the engineers that are working on the space shuttle, a car would last 50 years without breaking down. Now we're about to pay a million dollars for the car. But, but that's the type, that's pretty fun to no breakdowns in the car, weird things happening. Noises? What's that noise now? If we, you know, we have to be careful. We have to discern, even in our daydreams. If we're not careful, we can succumb to the next step, which is discontentness with the lives that we live now, what we have. We can easily see money as an escape from our trouble, troubles rather than to walk in faith in the life that God's given us to be good stewards with. We live in a culture of more. We live in a culture of better. We live in a culture of bigger. We live with huge, huge houses. I'm just loving my words today. Enunciate. We live around the corner from huge houses. Every one of us, there's a huge, enormous house right around the corner. So the daydream starts right around the corner from us. Passes every time the house being built from one room. My wife and I walked the floor plan one day when it was just out. It wasn't, the foundation wasn't there yet. It was just, we were kind of wondering, hey, that I'll be here for five more years. We love doing that stuff anyway. But, but we dream. We were talking last night. We would take this wall out and then open this. And we're sitting there over there. We're always planning. But whenever... Uh, we also live in a culture where there's a family that does more than you do, that has more than you have, and it will create envy. And if that envy is unchecked and repented of, it will turn into covetousness. Where we want somebody to, in order to have their stuff, we want calamity to come on them to bless us. But this morning, as a disciples of Jesus, <clears throat> we are called to forsake all things for the glory of the one who will never forsake us. What a promise. And I pray, my prayer has been that we would, this promise would just be ever real for us. Sang old songs this morning. I'm a fan of old songs. I've listened to old songs as we drive around in my worship time. Just listening to old songs. And what I love about old songs is the same God who 
we experienced when the first when the song first came out. It was new and fresh, and all the schools captivated. This is awesome ministry of grace. We have to be able to worship God with the song. But the promise is still true. His presence is still true. So when I hear old songs, I remember back to when you know I used to lead worship. I was like, youth pastor, I lead worship years and years ago. You know, 20 years ago. Wow, that's a long time. 20 years ago, I'm leading worship, and I'm remembering songs that I would sing with the teenagers and, and just God expressing our hearts to the Lord. And you know what? His presence is still the same. It's still the same. Our experience of it, we want to keep on increasing. But his presence, the exact same. So let's talk about money. Perspective. We need to pop perspective. On money. We are told from verse 76, the Apostle Paul says there, there's a snare, there's a trip up when it comes to riches and money. <coughs> verse 76, verses 6 and 10, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, I think we... We oftentimes seek to convince ourselves that we really don't love money. Now, just for clarification purposes, money is not the root of all sorts of evils. The love of money is. Greed is the root of all sorts of evils. That's why there's always been a population in every country of the world that sees that greed and says that's wrong. Somebody needs to take away that money from that greedy person to help everybody else. Because this is in every history book that I've read. But here we, we for, for, for a moment, we need to put ourselves before the Lord and say, God, I don't want to talk myself out of what I'm using money for, how I feel about money. I want to hear your spirit on how I need to be refined in order to make sure that my wallet is, is part of the kingdom advancement. We are to be free from the love of money. Hebrews 13 says that. Be free. From love of money. You know, Paul says two things that matter food, clothing. You should be content. Why, why don't we settle here? Food and clothing, we're good. We don't need anything else. But our hearts don't stop there. Because the issue is our desires. We spend life contemplating how we can build and secure and store. For our own personal kingdom. So we look for more money to bring about what we think will give us peace and security in our, our little fiefdoms, our little kingdoms. We build a domain that is pleasurable. And we also seek that money to buffer us from all bills and breakdowns. We will use money or we will keep money for the goal of establishing our own personal kingdom of security and peace in his life. 
We will either see money as a key to purchase our dreams, or we will find peace and security in the accumulation of a number in our bank accounts. But here's the reality. We will never, ever reach the level of comfort that we think we need. A couple years ago, at a company prayer breakfast, I <laughs> words. Uh, a couple years prayer breakfast, small mouth, really small today. Wow. Very wealthy man was was giving a testimony, and all of you have probably heard this guy. He said this, and just in a passing off, he said his goal. That, that he was, was, he was repenting of in that moment. His goal was to have $50 million in the bank. It's like, what? <laughs> I just take one. I'm good with one fifty. This man has more money than we could ever dream to spend. So in his, his uh, standard and measure is $50 million in the bank. I'm good with $50 in the plus section. In the black, that would be great. I like that. That's helpful. When we finally do the bills of the month, it's like, whoo, 50 bucks. This is great. What can we do with it? 50 million in the bank. That was his We will never, ever reach the comfort level that we think we require or need. Because we tell God that. God, if I just do this, I'm good. I'll stop cleaning. I'll stop everything. Just give me that. The standard for our peace and security will always continue to be just out of our reach and grasp. We don't make money so we can get what we want. Culture does. God supplies money to us to advance his kingdom. Now, thankfully, part of that advancement means that he meets our needs. That we have acquired money to meet our needs, and, and, and he, by his grace, allows us to take family excursions for him to see and discover his glory and bask in his grace. So he gives us vacations. But when we start to love those vacations, and then they become ultimate for us, is that all of a sudden our vacations need to be bigger, better, more, because we see that family, and they went there. When it becomes a driving thing, that's where the love of money produces those snares and they get trapped. But here's the warning from the Apostle Paul. The love of money makes people turn back on faith. That's why Jesus says it's, it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now back when his disciples heard that, they're like, say what? Because their disciples looked at their riches as a blessing from God. Oh, God must love you because you've got a lot of money. He just turned upside down. He says, that's not what it's about. Because of, with those riches, with the accumulation that wealth comes self-sufficiency and pride. So what does it mean for us to spend? We need to spend for an eternal kingdom, not save up, not store up for our own personal kingdoms. We need to have an eternal perspective with our money. Luke 12, Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all <coughs> covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, 
the land of the rich man produces plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. I will save my soul, soul, give ample goods later for you many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, for God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And take it with you. So is the one, listen to this, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I, I am amazed. Around here, across the lake, I'm amazed at how many huge, enormous, multi- million-dollar buildings that are going up so people can store their stuff. Like self-storage facilities. That's the commercial boom that's around. Let me, let me invest money so I can have people pay to keep their stuff. Wise, good job. But these things are huge. And they fill up in a moment. The parable said, Jesus said, you'll do that. You'll think, oh, I just, I just have to store this. But that's a key mentality. That's a, uh, I need to save this for a rainy. I need to save this for a day. There's, there's wisdom in having an emergency fund. There's wisdom in making sure that we can, that we're not, um, we're not frivolous in our planning. Or that we don't have a plan. It's okay to have a plan financially. It's what we're driven by to where we become stingy with what God has given us. And we don't, we're not posture to bless others. Our temptation to have more and to get bigger, bigger than we need, tempts us to trust in what we can do to accumulate our stuff rather than what God has done to save us. So a question, are we motivated to get what we want or are we motivated to honor God with what we have? John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, says the world is not impressed when Christians get rich and say thanks to God. They are impressed when God is so satisfying that we give our riches away for Christ's sake and count it gain. That's what the world is in need, because when we give away, we highlight what God did in giving his son to us, who did not withhold his own son, but gave him for us all. Three categories for you to consider in being rich toward God. Be rich toward God with a tithe, with your giving. Be rich toward God. Now, the typical giving percentage for churchgoers is about 2 to 5%. Uh, I, I think it's that average because that's what's easy enough to do to really have what we want, to live the life that we need or we think we need, the life that we want. I think God made 10%. So it stretches us. It really stretches us so we can make God worthy in our bank accounts. So we can make God worthy by having a testimony how He provides for us when we had no idea what was going to happen. So be rich toward God with your time. Be rich toward God in hospitality and mercy. And Jesus says, give but don't expect anything in return. Bless those who are around you. If somebody's in need, help them out. Without looking for something to get back. And listen, hospitality costs us. 
Rosario Butterfield wrote a fantastic book called The Gospel Comes to the House And in it, she's describing how she and her husband budget to have the neighbors over there. That's really cool. And as well as the church, we, we, we can do that. We are too do that. <coughs> as a body of Christ, we are to make sure that we are connecting with one another and that looks like we put money down on it to make sure that we are connecting and we are hospitable. Being rich toward God. So tithe, hospitality, mercy, the third category is be rich toward God by sending people on mission. Now this is wonderful. Not everybody's called to go. We need senders and we need sent. But there's a beautiful cooperation in that. When the senders send. And there's a joy that happens when the senders uh, give sacrificially in order to have. <coughs> I apologize for my coffin. We want to see that we have. This is a. I have another phrase for leave. Because we're sending. And it's really cool, miraculous to see chances and how God has supplied and how you have said, yeah, we're going to send. It's beautiful. But keep doing it. Don't lay a fish on earth because they decay. We need to invest in eternity. And then we get to a pursuit of contentment. Here's, here's really the kicker. We can talk about money, but really the underlying issue is are we really content? The writer of Hebrews says, be content with what you have. The first thing we recognize is that God gives you what you have, even your money. God gives it to you. James 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's not giving things and disappearing and expecting us to do. He's not tricking us with, with his gifts. His gifts. It's in his nature. So your work is your place to magnify God. Not to compete or to make money to build your own kingdom. Everything we receive from God is to be stewarded toward kingdom advancement, to spending toward eternity. We are a pass-through of God, for God, to complete his mission on this earth. And our money and our stuff is part of that stewardship, that, that pass-through. So when we get discontented in life, we stop the flow of the grace of God coming through us to display himself to others. But there is <coughs> godliness with contentment. First Timothy, the Apostle Paul told Timothy that uh, old Puritan book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs, I think gives us a very helpful definition of contentment. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. A bridge version. Content is when we submit to God. And we say, God, I don't have what they have because you don't want me to. Because this is a blessing that you want for me to experience. This is what you want. Keywords, submit and delight. Delight only comes when there's submission to God's wise methods of spreading out his money. 
when, when we, we are rejoicing, hey, God, God has blessed you with more money than me, praise God. And when I see the, the effect of that in, in sending and making sure that we are we, we're, uh, advancing the kingdom through the life of the church, praise God. So we really can rejoice with others who God blesses. But we don't have to, and I wish I had that. Because when I look at your life, I see ease. And I don't suffer. I know affliction. I want it easy. But the very thing God says, I'm not giving you easy. Because if I give you easy, you won't want to do it. Just do it. Do it. Because he wants, he wants us to have a little But we have, we have to beware of the fires. We have to beware. We need to beware of chasing Chasing our own unbiblical, ungrounded thoughts of what we think life should be like for us. Because when we chase those expectations, all we do is we so we rob ourselves of the contentedness that comes with seeing Jesus as great and satisfying. And we so discontent. So looking at your house, looking at your office, looking at your car, if there's always something else that needs to be done, be careful. You robbing yourself of a God-given contentment just to be at peace with how things are. Maybe one day. But right now, be contented. Beware of comparisons. Looking at what others have and being jealous of what they have. Comparisons rob contentment. Rejoice for people who have it. And beware of complaining. In the Old Testament, this was called murmuring. We, we murmur. The, uh, the original language, the word for murmur is mumble. And you know that it feels like, it sounds like. When we murmur, we are abjectly rejecting God's gifts to us in the form of what he's given us to enjoy on this earth till the day that we live in heaven and we get introduced to a more glorious body than we can ever, ever imagine that Jesus is still working on. Beware of chasing expectations, beware of comparisons, and beware of complaining. Uh, that murmur, that mumbling is the sound of this contentment. And third, most importantly, Recognize what you have. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says God. The parameter of our life, the parameter of kingdom advancement is the very presence of God in us through the, <coughs> through the Holy Spirit. And He will never, He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Leave, it has the connotation that he's got something better to do other than being in our lives. Forsake is when, when he doesn't want to be with us because we're bad and we're just too bad and unworthy. So God in both situations says, I'm not going to be distracted by something else. You are important to me. I am with you forever. And you can't do anything to make me leave. You can't be bad enough. You will not be unworthy because my son is given for your life so that you can be connected to me through the Spirit. He will 
will never, ever leave us. He will never forsake us. We have to learn to receive that. And apply that to our, our discontented moments so we can then settle our hearts and be content. God, I'm happy with what you've given me. And I want that sweet, quiet, reasonable disposition of heart. Satisfied with what God has done. Remember God's promise to Abraham when he said, go, leave your father's, uh, leave your family, leave, leave everything, and I'm going to show you where to go. He didn't give him a destination that you were looking for. God just tell him where I'm supposed to go, I'll get there. It'd be cool. He's not easy to trust him all the way. Because what did he tell Abraham? Uh, everybody who blesses you, I will bless. And those who try to get at you, I'll give it back. So what's he promising? He's saying, Abraham, go to the land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to be with you. The parameter of that, that journey of Abraham to find with God, the fulfillment of God's promise, because it needs to be a father of the nations, the fulfillment of that promise, God says, I'm with you. God leading Israel out of Egypt, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, his presence was with them. So the parameter, the, the, the guardrails, the atmosphere of our walks on this earth, our God is with us. He is in us. And we can be contented. Because as, as children of Abraham, the promise is the same for us. The peace and the security that we long for, God saying to me, just in my presence with you. Trust that. And don't look to something else to grasp and hold on to, to try to bring a, it's a quick peace, it's a quick security, but it fades, because it's never enough. It's just not found in God. So I'd conclude like this. Everything in our lives needs to be held with open hands. When God decides to give us something, we can't grasp onto it. Because when we start grasping onto it, discontentment rules us. But when we are saying, God, just a pastor, just a pastor, Job said that. Thinking I came into this world, I'm going to go out on the same way. But God's faithful. Blessed is This is a man who lost his children, he lost everything, got sores on his body. It's a pastor. And when we experience the blessing that God wants for us, when we're contented, say, God, I'm just a pastor. And everybody's going to more tempted to, to grasp onto something. Uh, no. Open hands. We live life with open hands. Mark 8, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We live for the everlasting kingdom of God. That's what we live for. We do not live and strive for the fading pleasures and the fading treasures that this world has to offer. You check our hearts to make sure, God, am I sending toward your kingdom? Am I trusting you with everything? Am I trusting you with my wallet? Am I trusting you with my checkbook? Am I trusting you with my credit card? Am I the good stewardship principles that we, we apply to those things? But ultimately, it's God. Does my, mom, does my money honor you? Because it's yours. 
give in to the fading, to the comparisons. Let's make a right comparison. Let's compare what we have in you, the eternal kingdom, through Jesus, to the personal kingdoms that we There is no comparison. It fades. We can't take it with us. So, Lord, we want to live life today with a pure, sweet disposition of the heart that's just grateful we had anything. And God, help us through your spirit strive for the eternal kingdom. Show us where we're striving for the temporal. God, we repent of striving for the temporal. We want to strive for your, your eternal kingdom and just convince us more and more and more of your loving presence that we have through your spirit because that's what holds us. That's what motivates us. 